Would you open your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter? 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. May we bow together in a moment of prayer, please. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We thank Thee for those who have stood in this pulpit in the last few services to preach the Word of God and to direct these services while we've been on the mission field of Mexico. We pray that now the Holy Spirit will make the Word of God alive and sharp and quick and powerful. May someone who has never been saved come to Jesus today as the Holy Spirit draws with the bands of love. And those who are God's children by faith be encouraged to serve Thee and love Thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to do something this morning in this passage that is not good homiletics. It is not good preaching. It is not a good way to treat the Word of God. But I feel impressed to lay upon your heart a theme. And so I want to lift verse 29, 1 Corinthians 7, 29, out of its context and appropriate it for a theme that is on my heart this morning. We have been studying a series of messages through 1 Corinthians. You recall that this church was a carnal church. Paul said, I could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as to babes in Christ. The church had all kinds of problems. It was divided over leadership. It was divided over doctrine. It was divided over morality. It was, con it was confused about spiritual gifts. It was confused about the resurrection. In the seventh chapter, it was confused about marriage. And the entire seventh chapter is given to a discussion of marriage and remarriage. And I do not feel impressed to speak on that subject this morning, but on another, on another service, at another service, we will study more in depth what the Holy Spirit is writing to us through 1 Corinthians 7. But I would like to lift out of context 1 Corinthians 7, 29, the text which says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Brethren, the time is short. I am more and more impressed with the shortness of time. Time as to duration, life as to duration is so very brief. Just a heartbeat less and then a funeral, just a breath less and then a grave digged. We do not have a permanent tenure on the house in which we live. We do not have permanency in anything we do. You get up in the morning, and you think this morning will be just like every other morning. You go to work, and suddenly the phone rings, a call comes, and some dear one has been taken in death. Or the boss asks you to come to the office, and he tells you, 
that because of the economic situation, there's going to be a layoff and you're not going to have the security in the job that you've had all along. The time is short, brethren. The time is short. We do not have forever to do what we're going to do. We do have today. Tomorrow's gone. We're not sure about uh, yesterday is gone. We're not sure about tomorrow. But we have today. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is God's hour. Brethren, the time is very short. And I want to lay on our hearts this morning the shortness or the brevity of time in regard to three things. Number one, the call of the world. The call of the world. Our world is in serious trouble. It does not take a learned theologian to describe to you the trouble of our world. It does not even take a newspaper correspondent that screams its headlines of chaos and confusion and crisis all around the world to make us realize that our world is in great difficulty. I understand that this morning the Shah of Iran died. And all of the confusion of these last months wrapped up in the, a nation's bitterness against its former leader is now coming to a head as that nation has announced that the most bloody man in history died in Egypt. Ladies and gentlemen, the Shah of Iran, no matter what he was guilty of, was not the most bloody man in history. History has been filled with bloody men, men who have taken matters in their own hands and have tried to wield power that was not theirs to wield. We could mention Charlemagne, Alexander the Great, the Caesars of Rome. We could talk for a long time about the modern warriors of Napoleon or Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler. None of these men sought the counsel of God into what they were doing. And each left behind him a mark of terror, a blaze of blood, forgetting that his time was so short to accomplish something that would really last on into eternity. Alexander the Great, at 33, had marched across the then known world, across the Hellespont, and they tell us that he sat down on the curbs of that great civilization of Babylon and wept in a drunken stupor because there were no more worlds to conquer. And, Charlotte, and Alexander the Great passed from the scene. The call of our world reminds us of the shortness of time, the brevity of time. We do not have long to do what we need to do. Our world, in all of its tragic turmoil, is waiting for someone to arise to say, I will be at the disposal of the Lord to make an imprint in the society and the time in which I live 
so that I can leave behind me a mark, just a little etch that reminds others that I did what I could to make this world what God wanted it to be. Sometimes we go places where they've made pavements and streets and street walk, uh, uh, sidewalks. And we see somebody, some child, maybe an adult, maybe a teenager has come along and carved his initials in that soft concrete before it is fixed. And those initials are there. They're there permanently. They're there forever until that sidewalk or that street is repaved. That reminds us, even though that's a, maybe a foolish thing to do and means very little, and the niche just because our initials are carved in public places doesn't mean we're something. That reminds us of the old adage, fools' names and fools' faces are always seen in public places. But it does speak a spiritual message to us that says we can so order our lives that we can cast a ballot, that we can take a stand, that we can be someone in the midst of a swirling current of time that soon will be gone. We can have, having done all, we can stand and be true to that which God wants us to be true to. Our hearts go out to the President of the United States in this time as he has to again put up with the capers of his brother Billy. What a tragedy that we live in a society like that, in a world where the swirling currents of time rush around people and drag them down, down, down in things that ought not to be. But the thing that gets me the thing that has wrapped its tentacles around my heart this morning concerning the call of the world is the call of a world that is in darkness, a world that is so devoid of spiritual light. We have been in Mexico in the evening training union tonight. There will be a report of Texas and Mexico mission. But I want to precede that for a moment to say something about the call of our world spiritually. In 1514, Cortez came from the old world to Mexico. And he landed at Veracruz. And he marched through the land of Mexico among all the Indians of that land. And he gave them the option, you either become a Christian or we'll kill you. And so the Indians of Mexico became, quote, Christians. But the type of Christianity that Cortez brought was an accommodation of a church that said it really matters very little concerning the heart being in it. An accommodation of the church to the paganism of its day and of the people. And so there was married together and wielded together the paganism of this land, this continent, with a materialistic, false understanding of the spiritual truths of God's Word, so that what happened was not a bringing of light to men's souls. It was not something that lifted men out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. 
It was not something that brought men out of the darkness midnight of their tragic background into the glorious liberty of the sons of God, but rather enchained them with symbols and relics and rituals and rites that had a little taste of Christianity, but a whole downward tug of paganism, so that what we find in that land are men and women who are bound under the chains of a materialistic type Christianity with no heart and no spiritual understanding. And oh, how tragic to see the difference between America and Mexico. And what I say to you, please do not misunderstand. I am in not in any way degrading those precious dear people of Mexico, wonderful, wonderful people. What an honor to know them. Great, great gracious people. And those who have come to know Jesus, who really do know Jesus, are some of the most magnanimous people I've ever met. But folks who are kept in the chains of darkness, in the mental powers of the underworld superstition. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Every bridge you go over, there's a little relic or a little memorial to Mary. If you look over there and worship her enough, you can get across that bridge safely. Every mountain curve you go around, there's some little relic over there reminding you that if you look up and say enough, Hail Thou Marys, somehow you'll get around the curve safely. If you wear enough medallions, you put enough things on the front of your car, little images, you'll be all right. We held a Bible school in a town that had never held a Bible school, never had even a Bible school, and little boys and girls had never had an opportunity to study about Jesus. They're hungry, hearts open to the Word of God. I'm saying to you, our world is hungry, and we either send the missions, we either send the missionaries, we either send the Word of God while there's still an opportunity, or tragedy will unfold. I couldn't help but feel the, d the dynamic difference in crossing the Rio Grande into America and seeing something about this nation that's so different from that nation. And again, please do not misunderstand. I'm not ridiculing. I'm not in any way criticizing those precious people. But in America, our nation was founded by men who came from an old world of tyranny, an old world where they said we can no longer tolerate the ancient tyranny of the kings and potentates. We must have a freedom to worship the Lord God. And so they came with a Bible, and they set up little colonies where they studied the Word of God, and they set up a government background that was based deeply in the truths of the Word of God, this great nation, America, the greatest nation that ever was formed. You go out and look at the highways. You look at the cleanliness. You look at the signs that say don't litter. And then you go to a nation where there are no signs like that, a, a nation underdeveloped, 
where, where people litter everywhere because there's no care about the cleanliness. Where did that care for cleanliness come from? The Bible, from the Word of God for godliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And when Jesus Christ comes into the human heart, he cleans a man's heart. He cleans the outside. He makes him care about what he lives around, what his house looks like, and what his bathrooms look like. Jesus is the answer to all of that, my friend. And our world is in tragic darkness. And I'm not speaking only on the material basis. I'm not speaking only on the outward appearance. I'm saying the call of the world is a call that says, come and help us. But if we do not go with the Word of God, there is a rising today and there has arisen today a hammer and sickle led by atheistic communism that is seeking to get its tentacles around all the nations of the world. And this has occurred not only in Eastern Europe, not only in China, not only in Vietnam and all throughout Southeast Asia, but my friend, this has occurred in this old, our own continent, in South America, yes, but now in Central America. And like those flying ants, they tell you, tell us we'll kill you. And stinging killer bees that are coming from the south northward, there is coming an invasion of philosophy and ideology that is in Nicaragua, that is making its inroads in Guatemala, that is making its inroads in Mexico, and is making its inroads in this nation through agnosticism and atheism, communism. It seeks to squeeze out the spiritual power of God in men's lives. And the call of our world is a call for Christians to repent of sin, to turn away from our callous indifference, and to arise to a need in this world to say, Jesus, I'm at your disposal. I'll do what I can do to help our world. There are many things we can do. Among them is to inform ourselves economically, inform ourselves politically, and find out leaders who are running for public office who have stands against moral unrighteousness. And beloved, the time has far gone when the church can divorce itself from world affairs. We need to be aware of what's going on in the world. We need to be aware of what's going on in this nation. We need to know where these men stand and find out how they feel about abortion. Find out how they feel about ERA. Find out how they feel about the economic issues. Find out how they feel about allowing Christian missions around the world. Find out how they feel about prayer in our schools. And then, under the banner of God's will, under the banner of God's love, go and exercise the most important, tangible thing that believers have in America, that is, the ability to vote to cast a ballot. The call of our world, their shortness of time, my friend. And their shortness of time concerning the call of the world in its lostness, in its darkness. We must become more missionary. Our church must become more missionary. We must somehow, somehow, 
We must be more concerned about the people across this city, across the county, across the state, across the nation, and across the border, and across the world, and give and give that missionaries might go with the gospel. In some of the places we served, dear Brother Juan, who preached in our pulpit some months ago, weeks ago, is pastor of a church in Atayac, Mexico. He doesn't have a car. Now, I admit that the, the roads, they're unbelievable. They're like driving up creek beds all over Mexico. But I don't know how he gets along, does his work without, without a car. His church, little church, that 151 in Sunday school last Sunday, we preached there, had the privilege of being there. Our men gave testimonies and sang in that service. Some people were saved. Thank God. Thank you for praying. But that church sponsors a mission over in Potrero. I don't know how far it is. It takes about 30, 40, 40, maybe an hour to get there because of the creek bed roads you have to go through. They sponsor another mission at Paso de Macho. And then they sponsor another mission two hours away across a mountain in a little, little city, I don't know how many people, about 12 or 15,000 people called Watasco. I think that's how you pronounce it. But that little church sponsors all those missions. And the pastor doesn't have a car. Brethren, we need to care. The call of our world as to as to the, the spiritual condition of people, people, precious people with souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. As we drove along and as we tried to minister to these, all of these precious, precious souls, precious people, I couldn't help but have my heart clogged at by the tentacles of God's power, God's Holy Spirit, saying, how can we get to all these people? How can we get there? Dear Brother Napkin, spends 200 days a year taking his public, smuggling his PA system across that Mexican border. They won't let you go if they know you're a preacher. You have to say you're a teacher. Some of you say, well, you mean you go there like that? Yes, that's what the apostles did. And that's what the people of the Old Testament did. And that's what the New Testament, that's how Christianity spread. And that's how it spread today. Have to smuggle Bibles across there. Last year, you're aware that we took many, many plaques that we had gotten in Spanish. At the border, those plaques were turned back. We couldn't take them in. But Brother Namkin spends 200 days a year going from place to place, hooking up his PA system and showing films in the Spanish language just to draw a crowd so we can preach to them. And then people get saved. Thank God, the call of the world, the call of the world. Brother, the time is short. I do not know how long it will be open. Doors are closing all around the world, and they may close in Mexico. They may close in Korea. They may close as they have closed in Vietnam. Are you aware, brothers, are you aware that one of our members, David Harris, in the military, was sort of a missionary in Vietnam while he was there. He was a member of that church, went out and hold, held 
prayer meetings and, and visited and won people to Jesus while he was there. The door of Vietnam is completely closed now. Nobody can get in there with the gospel. Doors are closing around the world. The time is short. Now secondly, the time is short concerning the call of our Lord. The call of the world. Secondly, the call of the Lord. The Lord's call is... Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God's word to believers, those who are saved, is that we be different from the world. We're not to see how close to the world we can live and still go to heaven. We're not to see how close, how much we can accommodate ourselves to the things of the world and still be spirit-filled Christians. God wants us to be clearly different from the world, to look different, to smell different, to walk different, to talk different, to be different, to give different. God wants us. There used to be an expression when I was a boy. I have first dibbies on that. Anybody ever heard of an expression like that? Well, God has first dibbies on you. God has first call on you. He has first claim on your life. If you're saved, if you're on your way to heaven, then God wants you to serve him, to honor him, to live for him, to put him first in your life. Come out from among the world and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you, saith the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the scripture says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that ye may grow by it. If so be, ye have tasted the Lord is gracious. In other words, the Scripture's call of the Lord is that we be holy, that we live a holy life, separated from God, separated unto God from a world that hates God. My dear friend, the world doesn't love God. The movies don't love God. The advertising world doesn't love God. The television world doesn't love God. The Hollywood world doesn't love God. And when you and I as believers in Christ, I, I know that we can't remove ourselves from the world. I'm not saying go up in some ivory tower and be like some monk in the dark ages and just not have any associations with the world. Oh, no. That isn't God's will. God never commanded a Christian to do that. But he did say that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to live in this world, but not be of the world. What happens when a person comes to Jesus? Jesus draws us out of the world, and then he takes the world out of our heart, 
And then, filled with the Holy Spirit, he sends us back into the world. And listen to this, if you can understand, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He puts the world back in your heart. A concern and love for a world that is in terrible need. That's the way it operates. And when the Holy Spirit is allowed to have free course in our lives, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're concerned about a world in need of Jesus, then our lives will shape up and will sharpen up and will be what Christ wants us to be. The call of the Lord to the, serve, to the saved is a call of holiness, a call of service. The city needs some missionaries. Several years ago, we used to have in our college department what we called college missionaries, dorm missionaries. We arranged the university department so that there would be a certain girl that would be a missionary to a certain dorm. Another girl would be a missionary to another dorm. A certain boy would be a missionary to a certain dorm, boy's dorm. And these were dorm missionaries, and they kept a sacred tryst in their heart for that dormitory. And they were spiritually responsible when somebody died from that dorm, they were not saved. They accepted that responsibility. And I want to tell you, Western University will open pretty soon with 14,000 students, maybe nearly 15,000. And every year that comes and goes, there are students who come to that university in the fall who are in eternity when spring comes. If we don't reach them for Christ, their blood will be in our hands. We need missionaries. We need missionaries in the city who will go out as a bus pastor missionary and knock on doors and do everything on Saturday possible to get boys and girls and their moms and dads to come and hear the Word of God. We need missionaries in this city who will go as soul winners on Thursday or other days and knock on doors and urge people to come to Christ. Oh, friend, just because that message has been heralded to you for many years, please do not turn deaf ears. Please do not say why that preacher has been talking like that for years. I don't have to listen to him. No, you do not have to listen to me, but my friend, you have to listen to God. And God has entrusted with me the message and the heart cry today to lay upon our hearts here at Glendale Baptist Church the call of the world, the call of the Lord to serve to, to missions right here and to the ends of the earth. God grant it. And then the call of the Lord to the lost. The call of the Lord to the lost, if you're here without Jesus, Jesus is calling you. He is speaking to your heart. He wants to draw you by the bands of God's love out of your sin, out of your darkness, out of your lostness, out of your misery, out of your tragedy, out of your guilt, into a life of love and service and forgiveness and grace and graciousness. Will you come to Him? whom to know is life, eternal life, abundant. Out of my darkness, I came to Jesus, and Jesus changed me. I'm thankful for what happened to me in the summer of 1939 when the Lord Jesus Christ came into my heart and changed the direction. And I'm thankful for what happened to me in the summer of 1949, ten years later when God put his hand on me and turned me around from a, from a careless, indifferent teenager who was cold and going away from God my first year in college and said, Richard, I have a call for you. I have a purpose for you. I have something for you to do. And I thank God that in his long-suffering patience, 
he made me aware of it. And he set my eyes toward Calvary and toward service. And brother, he wants to do the same thing for all of us here. I plead with you today, men who know Jesus, to put your all on the altar. Women who know Jesus, to put your all on the altar. And if you're here without Jesus, come to him. Serve him, love him, live for him. Jesus went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. They drove those nails in his hands. They put the crown of thorns on his brow. And the Son of God, dying on a cross, looked into the face of God the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. My dear friend, this time is short. I do not know how long you have. God led you into this building this morning. God led you to tune into this radio broadcast. God put you in touch with this service. And if you're not saved, I pray that earnestly you'll come to Jesus, turn away from sin and come to Him. And the third call, very briefly, is the call of heaven. The call of heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Some of you have loved ones in the glory whose dear forms you often miss. When they close their earthly story, you miss them. You can picture happy gatherings around the fireside long ago. You think of tearful partings when they left you here below. Will the circle be unbroken by and by? Heaven's a wonderful place. In heaven, there's nobody ever gets sick. In heaven, they don't need any hospitals because there's no like nothing, no sickness. In heaven, nobody ever dies, so they need no funeral homes, no florist shops. The garden of God is there forever, and Jesus is there. That's what make he makes heaven so precious. And the call of heaven today reminds us the time is so short. There may be someone in this room today. Next Sunday, you'll be in heaven. What you're going to do for Jesus has to be done now. There are no lost souls to win in heaven. They all have to be won here. There's nobody there that's ever discouraged, so if you're going to encourage anybody, you have to do it here. There's no work for Jesus there like there is here. Now, there we're going to serve him in a way that's beyond my understanding. But here, we serve him in a way that we can understand. A dear lady came a number of years ago in this service in our church. She walked down this aisle. I'll never forget it. Gave her heart to Jesus. I dealt with her in her, in her home over a number of weeks. Some of you had visited her. She came surrendering her heart to the Lord. She had lived, I don't know, maybe 50 years, maybe more without God, maybe 60 years. She yielded her heart to Jesus Christ. She had a habit of smoking. One day she came and laid those, all, those cigarettes on the altar. She said, I want to give them to God. I don't want, God, I don't want, to, I don't want a life that's like that. She gave her life to the Lord. And then she had to go to the doctor. She discovered she had a malignancy. In those last months in the hospital, and weeks in the hospital, and days in the hospital, I visited her every day, sometimes some, several times a day. One night she said to me, Pastor, I have only one regret. She said, I'm glad Jesus saved me. I'm glad God loved me. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. And I know I'm going to heaven. I know I can't get well. But she said, I just have one regret. She said, Pastor, I just had one year to give to Jesus.
just one year. In a few days, she was gone into eternity. I don't know how long we've got. Brother, the time is short. You may have only a year. You may have only six months. You may have only a week. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee that the message of the Word of God is clear, that the time is short. We know not how long we have, but we do have today. And I pray that right now, across this auditorium, the Holy Spirit will move in spiritual power and draw men and women and boys and girls to Jesus. God grant that someone will step out from a life of waste, a life of waywardness, a life of backsliding, a life of wasted years, or a life of lostness, hell-bound, that will come and say, here's my life, Jesus, I give it to you. God grant that. May the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation in a moment. I'd like to request that we all stay in here and no one leave. God's Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Friend, if you're here without Jesus, I urge you to come to Christ now. Step out from your past.